All right, thanks for listening to the My Edge podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, welcome to you all, whether it's first time or 18th time, as this is the 18th episode, actually 18th official episode. There was a sweet little, uh, oh shit, I run out of time in December, so I'll quickly post something <clears throat> um, episode before. Uh, thanks for taking the time to check it out. It's, it's definitely always appreciated. So I've got something to announce, so bear with me on this. Um, so doing the podcast costs me money, which is, it is what it is. To store it and for the website and all that kind of stuff. And it's only really small, but it's, and it's never really bothered me in the past. Um, and when I started the podcast, like I, I recorded the first episode with Mick Anderson. Um, the week before I played it, what I felt like was going to be probably my last show in a band that I'd ever do because Cody was a few weeks from being well a few months from being born um, and it just everything just kind of stopped which was fine which is kind of why I started this up because it's something I can do that's somewhat um, creative although I'm not the creative person in this it's, it's generally the it's always the um, the guests who are the creative ones and I just kind of have a chat have a laugh have a have a chin wag and whatnot. Anyhow, <clears throat> I'm rambling. I'll go back on track. Um, yeah, so it was just something I thought I'd do. And I always just wrote off the expenses as like, well, if I was playing in a band, it cost me, it'd be petrol money. It'd be rehearsal money. It'd be maintenance on stuff like, I don't know, strings and leads and all those all those things that um, you never really take into account. <clears throat> and, um, and you never get reimbursed for when you play in a band. But that's, it's just, it is what it is. Um, and a few people have said to me in conversation, like, why don't you get a sponsor for the show, or have you looked up, have you looked into setting up a Patreon, which, look, both ideas I'm not that interested in, um, definitely works great for some, um, the Just The Worst podcast is a Patreon, and Paddy, who's one of the guests on that, who I'm going to be speaking to in the next coming weeks, um, does a really great job of maintaining that, and you know, just working your ass off to make it so that people feel like what they're getting is definitely value for money, <clears throat> whether she sends out t-shirts or cups or mugs or all that kind of shit, which is fantastic. Um, it's something I definitely don't have time to do, and I pretty much, I, I've got nothing bonus, like a lot of people use Patreon to put bonus episodes up, like the Blink-155 podcast. Um, but I've got nothing really bonus to throw up because everything we talk about um, in an episode is pretty much laid out in the episode. There's nothing really more I can add to that. Um, so I borrowed an idea from a guy named Dan Carlin, whose podcast Hardcore History and Common Sense are, are legitimately fantastic. Um, hardcore History is not about hardcore music. It's a his, he's, It's about history you know like the mongols or world war one or world war two and it's it's deep like they're long hefty episodes um and common sense is just him rambling on a microphone which is also fantastic as well um because it's a non-biased version or a non-partisan version would be a better way to put it of kind of what's going on at the moment in all different facets of politics especially obviously u.s centric um, anyhow, at the end of each po uh, podcast, he basically says, "If well, someone says, if you like what you heard, uh, feel free to send me a dollar. So I set up a PayPal account, and if 
and that's a massive if you're inclined to do so and thought the episode was worthwhile basically go to paypal.me slash myagepodcast um, or follow the links at myagepodcast.com and send me a dollar um, you don't have to there's no don't feel pressured into doing it <clears throat> um, you know the, the concept is a similar one to what Bandcamp what Bandcamp do what a lot of bands on Bandcamp do where you can opt for to you know you can get their music you can get a lot of bands music like if you go to the Stone Age um, Stone Age Bandcamp Irrelevant Bandcamp I'm just trying to think of other bands that have got music up. maybe Taking Sides has one as well um, and you can get the stuff for free um, but if you if you want to pay for it you can also do that too um, it's up to you you know there's no again there's no pressure and it's weird and I feel weird enough actually doing this anyhow so um, basically at the end of the year any profits that I've made after this after paying for expenses for this I'm going to donate to a charity called the station um, and I'll just give you a list of their mission statement uh, to provide a range of services for people who are having difficulty attaining and sustaining adequate and secure accommodation health status, personal autonomy, and dignity. Um, I got onto these guys from Dave Immers, who's a long-time listener and long-time feedback giver of the podcast, um, who sang in, and who I hope to get on one day. So if you know Dave, you should send him a message and say, yeah, look, it's time you did an episode with Joel, because he's really hesitant about it. But I think he's, you know... As you'll hear from this episode, we talk about Dave a lot. Or we don't. Uh, Peter Bordy does, which I'll digress back to in a second. Um, <clears throat> Dave, Dave and his band Bad Blood, and his other band Vigilante. Once like that, he did post last nerve. Um, would always donate a lot of their profits from merch sales and record sales and all that kind of jazz to the station. And I've got a lot of obviously got a lot of time for Dave and hold whatever he says in high regard. As a lot of people do, which you'll hear about in this podcast. Um, so I figured if he'd kind of done the due diligence to look into it, and this is the one he was content with, um, I figured I'd kind of follow suit. So, saying all that, at the end of the year, yeah, anything I've made that's been a profit from money that's been given to me via paypalme.com slash myagepodcast. Um, yeah, I'll donate to them. Because there's always, I feel there's always that little Ian Mackay on my shoulder going, hey, is this the best way you could be doing things, Joel? Or are you sure you need to do that? And uh, so it is what it is. So with all that, uh, episode 18, Peter Vordy, as you would have seen by the title. Um, we talk about Last Nerve. We talk about early, well, not early hardcore in Australia, but you know mid-90s hardcore and kind of how we got to well how Pete got to where he is now which is I guess is the point of the whole exercise um interesting that a lot of Pete's like Pete and I are really similar age and so we kind of we have a really similar trajectory and that's, yeah so it's look it's a fantastic chat oh I, I will say I don't know what happened with my end of the audio Pete's end of the audio sounds fantastic um, mine sounds like I recorded it in my bathroom. I didn't. I didn't record it in my bathroom, but it just sounds really wiggity 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 whack. Um, and I apologise for that. 
anyhow, enjoy. Apologies for the long intro as well. Um, yeah, cool. Enjoy. All right, it's Peter Bordy. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good. Good. It's it's a uh, late late issue on a Wednesday or late enough on a Wednesday night. How's Adelaide today? Today. Uh, it was quite nice actually. Thirty-five or something. Had to work. Had to work, but got to swim in the ocean and hang out with the boys and tried to uh, water my lawn, but didn't get it finished. <laughs> there you go. All right. So we talked about this before we started recording. You're well versed in um, how this all runs. Do you want to just set the scene of uh, you growing up and that kind of thing? Yeah, okay. Well, I actually uh, need to preface the whole thing and say I'm not a huge Descendants fan. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. You don't have to be. Although the song Hope is an absolute banger. Yes, yes it is. And I do enjoy the Descendants. I am not a huge fan, but anyway. That's cool. That's cool. I uh, do love lots of punk bands. They're probably just not in my top five, but that's okay. That's all good. All right, continue on. Um, I actually, although music's been a pretty big part of my life, I grew up in a household that really didn't have much music going on in it, which is kind of weird. Yeah. No instruments and barely even a stereo from memory. Yeah, right. But So if we, we went growing up, were you in Eastern Sydney? Yeah, yeah, I was. The same house my parents still live in, just kind of Sick. South Coogee, Maroubra area, yeah. Um, they, I do remember like mum had this real shitty little like cassette player and I think she listened to like Triple M maybe as well. Okay. And, uh, the first ever cassette I remember was, uh, Midnight Oil, Diesel and Dust. How powerful that was. Yeah. So like, that's a pretty sick starting point really. Like when I even listen to that now, like. I looked it up today to see, and it came out in 1987, so I was five years old. Yeah, yeah. But, like, some of the, I don't know, I reckon the playing and the, the tones and even, like, the songs on that record are really, I don't know, obviously it's not heavy, or but it's hard-hitting for sure. It's, I was going to say it's very intense, yeah, and hard-hitting is a good, yeah, fantastic way to sum it up. And, like, the opening track, Beds Are Burning, like, that dun dun dun, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's heavy. And I didn't go see him live because I'm. If anyone knows me, I kind of I think music's a real time and a place thing. Like seeing Midnight Oil, let's say I don't know the Horton Pavilion in the eighties is not going to be the same as seeing Midnight Oil at the Adelaide Oval in fucking two thousand seven yeah. or, or a vineyard or something like that. Like I'm, I'm sure it was sick, and a lot of people I know that went said it was amazing, and just as good as it was back then. Like this one dude I know that saw him back then, like just as good. But it's like the whole like Cro-Mags and Madball and all those sort of bands. It's like it's just not the same, man. You know, like all full respect to all of them, obviously, but it's never going to be the same as it would have been seeing them when they just released the songs and. That's one thing for me. Music, half of it is the songs for me. The other half's the vibe, and yeah, if if not more, you know what I mean. Like it, it, that's where I'm sort of finding myself at the moment with music. Actually, like it, it's 
it's such an all-encompassing thing. Like you can, anyone can sort of put the songs together, but the, the delivery and the the vibe for me, it's all about that. Yeah, I can I completely agree with you. Yeah, there's yeah, there's nothing wrong with that having that kind of thought to uh, thought process of listening to music. Mm. So you're like, besides that one cassette player, there's nothing really in the house. Um. No, oh, and there's definitely no instruments. Uh, yeah. There, nah, nah, man, that was it. Like I, I remember learning recorder at school, but like just because you had to. Yeah, and I hated it. Like I just, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't musical at all. You know, like I had no interest until later on, obviously. And then I thought, oh, when I started to listen to music a bit more seriously, and I thought, oh, I'll learn how to play guitar. And I remember getting a real shitty one and starting to muck around with it and I must have just thought, fuck, this is way too hard. Yeah, too hard basket. You know what I mean? You know, like if you've got good intentions to do something, but unless you really, really want to do it, you're not going to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already did so much shit when I was a kid. I was like playing football, surfing, and I don't know what else, but I I definitely wasn't going to sit in my room for the day and play guitar. I was more out side doing yeah out and about because yeah. again like growing up in the eastern suburbs in Coogee, the Coogee-Maruba area like obviously football is a big part of the culture out there yeah. but just as big as well if not bigger would be the whole surfing culture yeah I reckon footy's bigger I grew up playing footy okay. when I was like four years old man and like it's pretty much I did that every weekend until I was 20 you know what I mean yeah but yes, yeah, surf, surfing. Were your parents into that? Were you like, were your parents big into footy? Or yeah, my dad loved it. You know, he was always the manager, and and then like I just went from playing with the local teams to then sort of playing with South Sydney and stuff, and then it gets a bit more serious. You get into your late teens, and yeah, sort of got to the point where it was all like, is this going to be a job sort of thing? And I started to get a little bit of money, and but it all sort of well sort of I started touring around the same time as well and then yeah. I was also halfway through an apprenticeship so it all just sort of all came to a head all everything so, all something I had to give yeah pretty much cool so let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves let's uh what song did you pick off um Diesel and Dust or did you pick a song off Diesel and Dust or yeah beds are burning man cool yeah. let's, let's listen all right awesome Time has come A fact to 
righty, beds are burning. Just fantastic song. And um, it's like to say they were underrated is probably it's weird to say Minotaur. I think, in my opinion, are underrated because they get so much respect in Australia. But they 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 were just well, you know, in their prime, they were just as good as any other band that were going around at the time. But I guess I don't know. I could be completely wrong with that opinion, but um, yeah, I just don't think they got the kind of they're just desserts. Would you say, or would you reckon they got like, you know, like if you like think of shit like Cold Chisel and stuff like that, you know, like that is probably they probably sold way more records, wouldn't they? Of I don't know, yeah, and like yeah, I, I know who I you'd say so, I yeah, know who I'd rather listen to, you know what I mean? Like for me, Midnight Midnight Oil, they're the all time greats. Like not only the songs, but obviously the message. Like the dude had an actual agenda and, uh, and things he wanted to get across and who else was singing about, you know, like equal rights and shit in the early 80s, like fuck Australia's still bogan now. Imagine imagine the people that would have gone to see Midnight Oil, like they would have been playing in pubs and it's kind of the, for me like Rage Against the Machine, like the people that listen to that band. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, missing the message. And what the band's all about. It's like, did, did they even have any idea what they were singing along with? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But again, that's why it's amazing because he's bringing it to the masses, you know. And yeah. On a side note, Peter Garrett became the member for my local area when I still lived in Sydney in like 2009, I reckon. Just For Kingsford? Ah, uh, yeah, Kingsford. Yep. His office was like up the road from my house in Maroubra. Yep. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll send him an email. Congratulate, yeah. congratulate. Oh, God, I can't say that word. Yeah, <laughs> a pat on the back email. Yeah. And he didn't fucking write back to me. So fuck you, Peter Garrett. Really? Yeah, I said like, you know, grew up in Maroubra, surfed at the beach. I loved it. He was trying to save, oh, well, he did do it, turn the south end of Maroubra into a national park. Okay. That they couldn't build units on it like they have everywhere else or you know, Everywhere else, yeah. I said, oh, that's great, you know, that's awesome, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, I'm in a band. We just released an album. We actually took our photos out there on that, on where you're going to turn it into a national park, you know. I thought he's going to write back to me for sure and say, oh, thanks, Peter. Even a standard reply I would have been happy with. Yeah, it was just copy and paste a reply. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. But that's all right. I'm sure he was busy. Probably, hopefully, but you know, and he went on to what state government is it or federal and did nothing. But oh well, no, I think when he when he was for when he wasn't. Um, oh, sorry, that is state, isn't it? Yeah, that, no, that was federal. Oh, was it? Yeah, they put him. They got him on board for. Um, I'm sure Kevin. Kevin O seven. Uh, Kevin O seven was his fucking. I'm gonna sound like a knob saying this. Kevin Rudd. Yeah. I'm sure Kevin Rudd um, got him on side to, um, I don't know, help secure the the celebrity vote. And uh, I know what. I guess yeah. once they're in there, they they can't really do what they want anyway, can they? Yeah. Yeah. See. Okay. So you were oh, you're into that from a really early age. Did by the time you were kind of you know a bit more aware of what was going on musically, did you? Um, did, was there more music in the house or still you were finding it yourself or what's the story? No, nah, you know what? Like I remember that but I still don't remember. It's not like I was playing it every day and loving it. It's just something I remember around the house, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And when I was a little bit older, I'd, I'd still say it must. My, mem- my memory is so shit, by the way. So. Yeah, it's all um, good. I, I reckon I still would have been in primary school. I had this one friend, and we used to buy that TV Hits magazine. Do you remember that? Yep, I do indeed. It yes, all just like fucking boy bands and shit in it. Yep, just pop stuff. Yeah. yeah so that's what we kind of got into. I remember I had um, Jordans and like hyper color, hyper color T-shirts. Yep. Um, See, what else did I have? La. The height of the height of fashion, popular t-shirts. So we just were into that shit. So then, this is going to be my next song, which is really a big, big step backwards from Midnight Oil, and <laughs> first ever concert or show that I went to as well. So I sort of had to include this. Yeah, it's a pivotal, yeah, it's a pivotal it moment, and it's really embarrassing. And it's a band called New Kids on the Block. Oh, dude, there is nothing. Yeah. There is nothing embarrassing about New Kids on the Block. And I still, when I, like, obviously I sort of thought about this before we did it, just think, oh, what songs will I pick? I looked it up on YouTube and I knew every word. Every word, yeah. Step by step. That's so good. So that's... That's why I liked it or how I, I do remember having one of their posters on the wall too, which is real. I just wish Mark Wahlberg was in it because he's a legend. It was his brother, wasn't it? Donnie. Brother. But I, I really wish yeah. he was in it because I feel as though he could have pulled it off. Um, I, mean, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, is it Ken Casey, the bass player in Rocky yeah. Murphy's? And he was saying that um, he, like, Drockett Murphy's are really, really good friends with New Kids oh, on the Block, as weird, as weird a connection as that is, because they're all from Boston and they all kind of grew up in the same-ish area. And, like yeah. drink in a pub together. Imagine what, yeah, yeah, imagine just what getting the live heads from New Kids on the Block would look like now. They would oh, rugged dear. fuck. It, it's been a while, they yeah. They would have just blown every cent they had. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're doing reunion tours and selling them out, like selling really, really well. They're not, well, are they? Well, sorry, I should I should preface that. I think they came out to Australia with another boy band. Wait a minute. Is this recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, recently as in maybe call it three or four wow. years. I'm, I'm with, that um, tour. I want to say it was Backstreet Boys. Well, at least I never I never liked them. At least so. That's fair enough. Um, were you an only child? I was. Yes, I am. I'm an only. My parents quite late. Um, they tried to have kids for ages and then pretty much gave up and went to Europe, where my dad was originally from. So the, yep. the money they'd saved because they sort of obviously weren't wealthy or whatever. The money they'd saved to have a ki- kids with, they said, fuck it, and just booked a ticket to Europe. And back then, going to Europe probably cost fucking, you know, how much money. It wasn't like now. You can just book a flight and go the next day. And they, I was conceived in Europe. They come back and mum was pregnant. So, yeah, but. So, what's your dad's background? Yeah, he's Italian. He was born in Italy. But he's as Aussie. You never like other than him having really dark skin. You, he's pretty Aussie. <laughs> yeah. And what about your mum? He was born here. Yeah, in in, in Sydney. Yeah, cool. 
So how did you how did your Italian dad end up in Australia? I think just the sort of standard story for back then. They just wanted a better life. So the I think it was yeah. the oh, I really should know this, but I'm pretty sure the dad came over first got a job and all that, got set up. In, this was in Perth too. So I've got all my family live in Perth still. Yeah, so he came over, got a job. And then there's a huge like at the time, obviously, you know, the immigration it was European. Yeah, and, and there's still areas in Perth that are majority Italian areas, I think. that's So they all moved into the same area. and Same little cluster, yeah. All got jobs and all sort of helped each other. Then I don't, I can't remember exactly, but my dad and his sister and his mum, they all moved out and you know, set up in Perth. And then somehow my parents met in Perth. My mum was over there. I don't even know. And then they moved back to Sydney and along I came. The rest is history, yeah. Cool. So we listen to step by step, or have you got like a deep cut you're going to throw out there? Nah, it's step by step. I didn't. You can't mess with the classics. That's that's true. Classics never go out of style. Yeah, that's the song. That's it. Let's listen. Step by step, ooh baby, gonna get to you, girl. Step by step.
spoke about this you, you said to me like like when we first spoke about ages ago yeah you kind of gave me a rough idea like off the top of your head and i was like i was looking at you, like you said with the list and i was like yeah no that could almost be mine yeah like like i'm sure we're going to deviate when we get to uh, like this song will probably be still on the same page but then after that we might deviate but those yeah i'm pretty sure i remember looking and going yeah those first two that could easily be mine that's yeah that's that a thing could really be most people our age i guess you know yeah very much so Unless people aren't honest and go, oh, yeah, the first song I listened to was the bits, man. Or, oh. Well, that's what it, that's actually that's one thing I say to people. Like, you know, no one's trajectory was their parents listened to Sex Pistols and then they listened to Minor Threat kind of thing. Like, that doesn't happen, which is fine. Like, because if everybody's honest with it, then it makes. Or if you're honest with it, then it makes a great yeah. and interesting episode. And I think, like, no, I don't think anyone's ever kind of lied about what no. they listened to. But I think if they did, it would definitely come. Like it'd definitely tell. Yeah, like uh, I think mm-hmm. we're all long past trying to be cool. Yeah, that's it's yeah. If we're not now, it's too late. It's over. Yeah. Sick. So you you're playing football from a young age, um, and you were surfing as well. Like, you know, when you kind of started getting into high school, that kind of thing. Did you start? Did you revisit playing an instrument or? Um, nah, man, because that was when, like, it was all about football for me. Like, I even changed schools to be in another football team. Like, it was pretty much football was sort of my main thing around those years, actually. And, like, this was around restraint. I had had either – had just started, I reckon, because I remember trying to balance doing the both and it was getting tricky, you know. So how old were you when you joined restraint? Yeah, I think I was like 15 or 16, so pretty young. I, I, I was, uh, yeah, year 10 of high school, so yeah, 16. Yeah, 15, 16, yeah. And um, how did you know those guys? They, they were all local Maroubra guys? Yeah, well, Ricky obviously but I, I, it, that band all started from the drummer. It's weird. Like I didn't know Pete, the guitarist, at all. And even though we all sort of – we all lived – within 
five kilometers or less than of each other. It's real weird. Like I don't even really remember. Like I think the drummer was just putting it together and his sister was going out with Ricky. Then he was friends. Well, Steve was friends with Pete. And I don't know how I got ringed in. I guess just because they needed a singer and I couldn't play an instrument. <laughs> so you mean Pete Bursky? Yeah, Pete, yeah. Is he is he how like I thought he I thought he'd be younger than you. How old was he when he was when you were on the band? He's two years younger than me, I think, or one year. So he was like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, man, we were young. Real young. Fucking hell. But by the time we got our shit together and played a proper show, like what we did, and it's kind of good, like we played all these like Maroubra Bay Hotel and Maroubra Junction Hotel used to have these like Wednesday night jam nights. And we played them yeah. for like a year or two years before we played an actual hardcore show. And What were you playing? Well, we were playing like original songs and then some covers, like a Sick of It All cover and it was mostly original songs, but I can't even imagine what the fuck it would have sounded like. God, it would have been terrible. So, so being that young, how, where were your influences coming from? Like you didn't, I guess, like Pete, uh, sorry, Ricky Taylor would be a pretty big, um, big influence and that kind of thing. But yeah, like, how was it all going down? Yeah, well, Ricky obviously. I remember seeing him around when I was a kid thinking he was so cool, like two sleeves. This is like mid-90s too, you know, like not. He always kind of looked scary and he always had a shaved head. Um, and knowing him now, he's like the further thing from scary. But, <laughs> um, and he had this really cool circle jerks thing he drew on his surfboard and I didn't even really know what it was back then, but I was like, fuck, that's like a punk moshing on his still so Rick was like pretty cool you know I thought he was pretty cool and he obviously had the the he knew what he was listening to you know whereas the rest of us were only just getting our feet wet where he'd probably been listening to it for years and years well into it yeah but then again I don't remember him writing any of the songs I'm pretty sure Pete wrote most of the songs so fuck knows. Like the early stuff was like real, God, it's just real simple and shitty. And I think it, it, it just progressed as Pete found more bands, you know, like both. But did it start out as like a, did it start out as like a, you know, a faux grunge band and kind of, no, nah, nah, it was always a hardcore punk band. Yeah, like the first ever song I remember practicing in our friend's garage in like Ramwick. We just set up in this garage. It was so loud, like we couldn't even get through the song. But that sick of it all song, Goatless. Yeah, yep, yep. So that was one of the first songs we sort of started to play. Like we must have played stuff before that because I remember when that record came out, we were already sort of mucking around. But like I said, I fuck knows what it would have been. But it was definitely like hardcore. Like I still can't even really think though. Like. Well, Toe to Toe was obviously a huge influence on all of us because Ricky was hanging out with them and they were like the Sydney band, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like as for American bands, like I couldn't even tell you, like I guess Sick of It All and maybe Agnostic Front. But this is back when, God, they wouldn't have even really worked. Like, oh, yeah, I, who knows what Agnostic Front were doing around that time, but Sick of It All were definitely going for it. Yeah, still, still active and thoroughly, you know, they're considered, around that time were some of their classic albums, the, 
scratch yourself, uh, scratch yourself, and built to last. So how were um, how were the pubs taking it? Like when you were just doing open mic nights, or you know just champions or that? Were they cool with you doing what you were doing, or did you get frowned upon because it's you know? Nah, I think because it was Ricky and and to a lesser extent me as well, and and, and also Pete and Steve, like. It was just like you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. No one cared. Like, I remember them being pretty well attended as well, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, there was a band called the Dead Rabbits as well who were like a punk band. So they always played them. So it wasn't like a bunch of people telling jokes and then us making this huge noise. Like They were pretty, they were pretty rowdy affairs. But they were definitely like on a Wednesday night, which is real weird. But they, like I said, I remember them being like, it's not like we're playing to an empty room. Like I, I remember some of them being quite loose, you know. And yeah, it was it would have been around the time um, when they weren't that strict on checking IDs and that kind of thing. So if you turn up with an instrument, you'll be right to get in. Yeah, no such thing. And plus, me and Pete looked like we were twenty five anyway, so it didn't matter. And plus, I already drank at all those places anyway, so they probably already knew me. No, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's like, you know let's talk about musically you. you you mentioned Sick of It All and Agnostic Front. Was there anything else that was on your radar at that time? Yeah, well, I went the other – well, originally after, like, going through my TV hits phase. Sorry, before you go on, how do you transition out of TV hits to Sick of It All and that kind of thing? Through surfing videos. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah, the Taylor Steele did those fucking amazing movies, like Momentum and all of them, when it was just like the, – the soundtrack's insane, like – Pennywise, Bad Religion. No, oh, I don't think No Effects were ever on one, so he must have a problem with them because I'd love to ask him. I'm pretty sure they're not on any of his movies, like Good Riddance, Blink, Fuck, Sprung Monkey, who I haven't listened to since, but this, the music on them was insane. So that pretty much transitioned me through that. I got into like all of those you know, Californian punk bands and, then that, I think, from memory, I started to randomly listen to a bit of heavier stuff, like just your real mainstream, like Metallica, Pantera, Slayer. Yeah, so actual metal stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I never was really huge on any of them, to be honest. Like, I never really got into metal. It was too, like, fake and stupid for me. Yeah, I was more just into, like, your punk stuff. And then this is... Then kind of everything for me took a, a bit of a change in direction when Toe to Toe played this like local festival called uh, Surf Skate Slam. So then I saw them and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, it was, it was like sounded like punk, but it was heavier. And everyone looked fucking cool and scary and, you know. <laughs> was, it the, was it the Surf Skate Slam where Silverchair headlined? Nah, that was the next year. It was, was the next year. It was the year um, it was down on like the pavilion and Frenzel Rom played as well. Um, but Toe to Toe killed it. Like they got the craziest response. It's on, I reckon it's on YouTube. Like I had an old video of it and it's pretty hilarious. There's just like this circle pit the whole time. Yeah. Um, and in that circle pit, it's like me and all my friends all like these, like Kobe and all the older guys from Aruba. There's tons of fights and dumb shit. Like I'm sure, like all the crew from Newtown and stuff probably came down because, and they probably would have yeah, just been like, yeah. "What the fuck is are these guys doing?" But then, then it was, yeah. 
Was it was it on um what was that toe to toe video that got released? Yeah, well that's the footage from that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's I think the song's No Gods, but Yeah, but, I was about to say it would have been No Gods or and something. They did, that no Gods either just come out or was about to come out, but I'm pretty sure that film clip's No Gods, yeah, but that's the footage, yeah. It's fucking my friend filmed it from up on top of this bus that they had parked there. Yeah, like to see me and some of my friends, like we look like babies. Like we're so young. I, I think I was 15 maybe. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, again, like toe-to-toe, I th- I'm sure I've said on another episode with someone, but toe-to-toe in their prime were just, you know, they, they went, they literally, you know, to use a really bad pun, oh. they can go toe-to-toe with any band in the world at the time. Yeah, man. They were just as good as anyone. And, like, they, I've told Scott this too. Like, that band changed my life for 100%. Like, honestly, they were my, uh, I guess, I don't know, Bad Brains or Cro-Mags or, you know, like, I wasn't around for that stuff, but I was around, not at the start of Toe to Toe, definitely, but I was around when they started to really hit their straps, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, like, I, um, seeing Toto so would have been at the second. Um, again, I feel like I've said this a thousand times before, but seeing Toto so at the second Surfskate Slam was definitely a moment in my life where I was like, like, okay, I now need to, like, I saw them and thought, I now need to readjust where I'm at with music because this is this has changed me in a massive way. You know what I remember from that day? I just remember them playing so fucking fast. Like, I do, yeah. I reckon Bruz told me they were all on speed too, or him and Beans were. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. As they were playing, Bruz's legs just kept getting wider and wider apart. Just that stance. Yeah, and they were just like, I was pretty fucked up that day, I think. But I remember that show was like, it's for me, it's not as like vivid in my memory as the first one. But the same thing, they were they were a different band then because like. The two Justins on guitar were like kind of loose and it was still a punk thing with that Matt dude drumming. Yeah. But then when they got Braz and yep. like what was that sick drummer's name? I just remember he was a school teacher. Yeah, that's, that's all I can remember. He was a school teacher, but I can't remember his name. But when they got him, like, dude, he could play drums, you know. It's, it definitely stepped it up, didn't it? And then they started like doing festivals and shit and that's when they really started to – you know, some of those older songs for me aren't as, like, I guess, memorable, but I think they were, that was the best toe-to-toe ever for sure around that. Time. Yeah. So what uh, what song are we going to go with? Is it a toe song we're going to go with? It have to be, yeah. I, I think yeah. No Allegiance. Just, See. Yeah, that was the song for me back then. That was like my, you know, I was – I wasn't really a rebellious kid. I definitely sort of got myself into a fair bit of trouble, but I, I, my parents were pretty free with me, I guess. So yeah. that song's just so cool. Like it's as cheesy as it comes, but it's a pretty good way to live your life, you know? Yeah. Because there's no point listening to what anyone else tells you. You've got to work it out for yourself. That's right. Find your own way. Hmm. All right, let's check it out. All right. Do it. 
you mentioned, and we can talk about this or we can not talk about this, I've always thought you were edged for something, like you were edged all your life, but obviously, you know, you mentioned a few times that you like to get a bit high and drunk. Mm. Um, when did the edge thing kind of yeah. come into effect? No, when I was young, I fucking did everything, man. Yeah. I, I think I did it the right way. I Got out of your system at an early age? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I obviously, I also didn't say I was straight edge to like be cool and fit in with everyone else. I, I did it because like I actually needed to do it, <laughs> you know. And it just so happened that the music I was listening to at the time, there was something to label myself. So it's sort of worked out great really. But that would have been around my 20th birthday. So that's about 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, my 20th birthday, I went out and ended up doing some silly stuff and said, you know what, I'm not going to drink again. And I haven't, you know, just turned it off. Yeah, I just am better not doing it. And now, obviously, that it's 15 years later and I'm probably a different person than I was back then. I, I could probably drink now, but I just don't have to and need to. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like sometimes maybe like, well, not even like, I don't, I wouldn't drink wine probably anyway. And I just think I've done it that long. Like, I just don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I, get, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. I get that guys like beer, like I fully get it, but, you know, I've got other stuff that I do. and yeah, Other stuff to spend your money on? Yeah, and like I don't think I'm missing out on too much. I drink beer. It doesn't taste that different, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair um, enough. When did restraint kind of call it quits? Yeah. Around when you were 20? Yeah, or? it would have been right then, yeah, around the same time and then Last Nerve kind of started right. I think Restraint's last show was Last Nerve's first show from memory. Oh, was it really? Oh, hardcore. Yeah. Two. Oh, two or three. Mm, oh. Thereabouts. Oh, one? No, oh, two. Must have been oh, two. Nah, wait, that's wrong. Restraint's last show was with Throwdown at the Green Square, I think. Okay. Fuck, I, I don't know, actually. I just remember. Yeah, it blows in. They had a real big fight out the front. That's all I remember that show. Sorry, there was one or Restraint had one? Nah, there was one. I went outside and this huge guy was beating the shit out of Pete. It was really weird because Pete has never had a fight in his life. He's like the most non-violent person ever. Yeah. But he did do something to deserve it. I found out later. But this, yeah, really large man was punching Pete. (laughs) Was the guy at the show or did Pete just do something outside the pub? Remember, remember the Green Square had that front bar, so it was always weird. Yeah. You had people that were just there for the pub and people that were there for the show. For the show, yeah, two worlds colliding. There was always fights there. I've, I'm not trying to talk myself up, but I had so many fights at that pub. It was so yeah. it was so dumb, but I'd like to think I didn't start any of them at least. <laughs> it was a bit different time and place now. You can't, Everything would get filmed. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. So last nerve, let's talk about last nerve. Now I'm, you know, every year Willie does the um, end of year like year in review. Let's let's say he always sends me an email with all the questions, and every year I write like last nerve reforming. That band, I think, and look, maybe it's just me looking at it through rose coloured glasses, but that band changed a lot of things in Australia. Would you agree with that? Like, or do you kind of? Do you kind of not see it because you were there and it was just kind of it was just happening 
like, and you couldn't see what was changing. Well, now that it's been a, a while and we've all obviously moved well on and stepped back, I, I see that band for everything it was because it was Dave's thing, man. We were all just a, a, a part of Dave's thing, really. And yeah, hundred percent. He he made hardcore in Australia way better. Like, yeah, I agree. Hardcore in Australia, and if like just say before last night, say Scott was kind of like the the main dude, maybe. Yeah, the Godfather of sorts, or well, not the Godfather, but like the, the head of the table. Yeah, and Scott's a legend, but he's hundred percent like old school, stuck in his ways. You know, like he he wouldn't. I think he kind of does listen to new music a bit now, but I just remember him, like, if you'd ask him, oh, do you like this band, do you like that band, he'd just write everyone off, you know what I mean? If they were new, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Dave just knew everything about everything and knew all these young, cool bands who ended up turning out to be fucking all, like, amazing bands. Like, I remember him showing me American Nightmares first couple of The demo. Yeah. And, like, all those bands, like, stop and think and... All those, like, and I'm not talking about In My Eyes and Floor Punch and all that because obviously they'd already been around. But, I mean, they've sort of breathed new life into I would still remember I've still got them too, probably in the room I'm currently in because I'm out in my back room, like all these tapes that he made for me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he sort of, to me, bridged the gap between the newer generation of American hardcore and not that there was a huge gap but like all, all – or bond or friendship, but at least they knew who we were and, like, we'd send stuff back and forth to these bands and obviously we never actually got to tour America, but I think quite a few people over there ended up knowing about Last Nerve. Yeah, absolutely. And we were, and that's the split with internal affairs from the hurt. Yeah, well, that's right. And we were booked on a – got us – see, this is the thing, and I don't know if Dave will listen to this. I reckon Mick might. So Tough Sticks, here we go. Dave, Dave definitely does. Dave was the – yeah, Dave was the first person to leave me a review on iTunes. Oh, okay. Well, I'll put my hand up and say that I probably ruined Last Nerve and I apologise, Dave, because because uh, it was Dave's band, man, and I was just like gunned. Like back then for me, right, like I'd started working for Graham. Yep. So At Resist Records for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah. Not, not in the shop though, doing the touring side of stuff. And back. Back then, it wasn't like it was now. It was fucking, you know, pick them up at the airport, drive them around. That's about as organised as we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just cross your fingers that everything falls into place. Cross your fingers that when you go to pick them up, they all get through immigration. Immigration, yeah. But anyway, like for me, hardcore, as corny as it was, it was sort of my life. I was living off it. I, I, everything, everything I did. I lived and breathed, you know, like. Yeah, you surround yourself with it. Yeah. So that then when I was in a band of my own that was relatively good and started to get a little bit of momentum, I just wanted to go for it, you know what I mean? Like, because I would tour with these bands and I would like, we can do this, let's do it. And obviously the communication lines might not have been as open as they could have been. And Dave, like, no, he's pretty direct, but no one really ever said, nah, we just want to, do this like sort of everyone kind of went along with the dumb shit i did like got a, like hate breed shows and dropkick murphy shows and started to because you can't i still think this is a good point you can't play to the same people every month you know you gotta no you got yeah you gotta expand yeah yeah and 
I, I don't know. I think I'd sort of took Dave's baby and fucked it up a bit for him. But sorry, Dave, if that's what happened. There might be a reunion show in the future. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Never say never. I hate no. I hate reunions yeah. more than anyone. No, I know you do. I know you do, which is why every year I say I'm bummed last nerve didn't get back together. Yeah. Yeah, but it is what it is. You definitely, you, you brought in a new, you brought to Australia a new sound that wasn't metal and it, was, it had no melody. Not that there's anything wrong with metal and not that there's anything wrong with melody, but you definitely brought a sound that um, it was it was happening outside of Australia and you brought it to Australia. Yeah, again, that's all Dave. I reckon it was very Boston sounding, you know. Yeah. But then Pete kind of took it and did his own thing with it as well, you know, like those jazzy fucking solos and shit. Like none of those bands were doing that. No, he definitely brought a, another level of talent to the whole thing. But that also, yeah, that I was going to say like that sort of probably distinguished it a bit because if you just got those simple songs, like I remember that band Stop and Think. That That's a band I kind of compare Last Nerve to a lot. Like okay. really, really simple songs but quite catchy and, you know, it just sounds like hardcore really. Um, but pretty one-dimensional, I guess, you know? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Pete started to write some different kind of cooler shit. I used, if someone used to ask us towards the end of Last Nova, what do you sound like? I'd just say like a heavier ACDC. <laughs> yeah, that, look, it's weird as that sounds, you're not far from the truth. And it kind of was starting to get that way. And, again, I don't know if Dave would have loved that either. Like it was sort of starting to stray a bit. From the blueprint, maybe it was. Yeah, it was becoming a lot more rock and roll. But if you listen to those songs now, right? I haven't. Which I do. Oh, do you? Do you still? Yeah. Think, you still they, oh, to me, they don't really hold up that great. You know. The only thing that doesn't hold up is the production. But what are you going to do? Yeah, the the EP sucks. Like it yeah. sounds so shit. I, but we thought it sounded shit at the time. But it was just like, what can you do? Yeah. And back then too, it cost fucking lots of money. Oh, yeah, it's money, and then come out the other side and go, "Fuck, that doesn't sound good." That's not how. Yeah, that's not how I wanted it to sound. Yeah, the demo we recorded at fucking Zen sounds better. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh well. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about no apologies then, which is you know I've got a special connection to, which I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, go for it. Yeah, well. After Last Nerve kind of ended, I was in a real weird kind of headspace. Um, I was also touring pretty much, well, full-time as a tour manager as well. Um, for Graham? Yeah, for Graham. And I did, a, I did a bunch of other shit as well, that sort of bigger stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and it just fucked me. It ruined me as in like playing shows with my own bands instead of it being about fun, it was like, you know, because I'd seen what real bands sort of how they act and I'd sort of taken that on, which was stupid because you're talking about bands that tour 10 months out of the year compared to bands that play 20 shows a year, you know what I mean? Yeah. Two different things. But in in my head, I sort of thought they were the same thing, which was really silly. But so um, before you go on, what do you mean by you, you saw how they acted? Like was it a positive way or a negative way? I mean, obviously oh, you said it fucked you up, but like were they, was maybe. it showing the true the true colours of, yeah. you know, people? Like, it's just a, 
it's oh, well, yeah, it's just a job. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a bummer. Like all your favorite bands that you think are having an amazing time on stage and creating this. Ah, uh, you get to see how the sausage are made, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it is what it is. But yeah, you know, ninety percent, if not more, of the bands I toured with were miserable and hated what they were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a downer. I play the same songs every night, and like, it's just, it's a bummer, really. But for some reason, that sort of mentality creeped into my head, and that just, yeah, I don't know why. But also, like you see the success some of these bands are having, and you think, oh, we could do that, you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it, it isn't the same thing most of the time. But anyway, yeah, so that, that just sort of ruined the whole thing for me. And then when Last Nerve sort of wound up, probably – a lot to do with what I just said, you know, like yeah, me, I don't know, I don't know if directly or indirectly, but it definitely wasn't as fun, that's for sure, you know. Yeah, for sure. For some reason I had these leftover songs that I'd either written with Pete or um, I think one was with Nick, the drummer in Terror as well. Okay, yeah, see. I just kind of wanted to record it and – and sing again, which I hadn't done for ages, and and it wasn't going to be anything more than that. I didn't really have like ambitions and that kind of thing. Yeah, like I obviously was sort of burnt out and didn't want to tour or play shows really. But I just got together some guys to record, and I can't really remember. I don't know, like why or how we ended up playing shows. Yeah. But I, I know that when we did do them straight away again, I started to feel the same and not be happy and have fun and stuff. Like we went to Perth for the weekend and the shows are really good and we played yeah. them all, like three shows at miles away. And I remember Mick pulling me aside and just being like, what's wrong, man? Like why are you so miserable or not miserable? But it was clear that I wasn't having a good time, you know? Yeah. It was getting silly, really. Um, and then it was weird. I I, I worked. I went overseas and did a European tour with a couple of bands, that, and it kind of got you me. Sorry, no apologies, did or you just you went by I, I was working, yeah. So yeah. it was a Chromags tour in Europe. Um, it went for three weeks, and then Betrayed were on that, and then they did another two weeks on their own after, and I sort yeah. of did the whole thing. And for some reason, that got me psyched on hardcore again. Like, it was really weird, but yeah. it kind of showed me what it can be. Like, again, you know, like, Betrayed were an awesome band made up of, like, close friends, and they just went about things really well. And yeah, and spending time with them, I was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, this is what hardcore is, you know. Like, it's fun, but it's you can write good songs, and and it can be more than just, well, they also had the, you know, more of a message happening as well, and yeah, and and their shows were awesome. Like they smoked the Chromags a lot of nights, and there was more hype around them, and their songs were great. And then yeah. before you go, Betrayed were members of yeah, yeah, Aram. Okay. Yes, yeah, Aram, the singer, was the guitarist in Champion. Yep. 
Uh, the drummer Todd was the drummer in Champion. Uh, Todd Jones wrote most of the songs or all of them. Oh, but, from Karen and yeah, Nails yeah. and Terra. Yeah. yeah, but he um, wasn't on that tour. He didn't really tour much with them. And Greg was the bass player. It's just guys you've, yeah, they've been in a bunch of other bands. Yep. But, um, yeah, and they were saying to me, you know, like it is what you want it to be, like you know what I mean? And I kind of came back from that thinking, oh, maybe I do want to. I don't know. It was really weird. I, I come. Not many people tour Europe for five or six weeks and come back psyched. It was it was sort of yeah. Um, so then I wrote a couple more songs and I think we ended up doing like a three-way split seven-inch or something weird with no turning back. Yeah, that's right because they were on a bunch of the shows. They're a Euro band, yeah? Yeah, and then Internal Affairs just because I'd always kept in touch with um, Corey. Yeah. Well, it was sort of just a bit of a, I don't know, like it, it was just me kind of writing these really basic hardcore songs and singing and going through dudes in the band because I was just stealing whoever I could to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously like Pete, me and Pete are like a pretty, I don't know, like it sounds cheesy, but a really strong connection. Like, Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's obvious. Yeah, that's completely obvious, yeah. One if, you saw, the, if you ever saw you guys play together, yeah. One of the first guys, you know, like I played music with and I, I think like – a lot of people, if they're lucky enough to have someone like that, you know what I mean? Like, so when I was doing the band, any band without him, it doesn't really seem right. Yeah. So for this start and the start of No Apologies, he was always sort of like, he wasn't playing live, but I would speak to him about stuff. I think he was doing toe to toe at that time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's why he didn't do it because they were like trying to do stuff. Yeah. But then somehow he ended up playing bass, like using all my bass gear and playing bass, which was really weird because he's never yeah. played bass before. Just head first. Yeah, and he was he obviously could play it and he was crashing yeah. bass around like I've never seen my bass, had never seen such action. Yeah, and never got the workout, yeah. Uh, um, and that was really weird because – I don't know. I who knows? I, my memory is so shot. But I guess yeah, toe to toe mustn't have been doing stuff. But what made me really like start to think, hang on, let's do this band properly was Todd, the one we just spoke of. Todd Jones came out and stayed with me and my wife for like I think it was like two or three months. Okay. And he kind of spent heaps of time with Pete, and they got along really well, and had heaps of like similar interests in music and guitar and stuff. And he kind of said to us, like, what are you guys doing? Like, you've got to do this band for real because he could tell that, we'll, like, musically, well, we had, had the, like, have a connection and we we had an idea of what we wanted to do but obviously hadn't at all yet. Like, the songs were all just, ter- like, basic shitty hardcore songs. yeah. And I don't know, see, at the time, Jigsy was playing guitar. Yeah, because – and, and uh, Dooley was playing drums because, uh, like, I completely forgot that it happened. And then yeah. – That um, was like – I think – because they all kind of moved to Sydney to do Jungle Fever. To do Jungle Fever, yeah. 
and I pretty much just stole the whole band except you. <laughs> except me and Gabe, yeah. Yeah. I remember like we were just jumping on all Jungle Fever shows. Yeah. It was really silly. And like that's what I mean. Like we weren't our own band yet, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But then so I guess whatever, Pete must have got freed up and we said let's do it properly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we started to write these songs and like we had no idea who would be in the band and Todd gave us a couple too. He gave us one that he actually wrote for that fucking, am I allowed to say, terrible band, Guns Up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You could, whatever you just think they're not that good, I'll, you know, we're not going to edit that in. They didn't, no, no, I don't care. They, they're just like a no warning ripoff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, he'd written a song that they didn't use or didn't want and that ended up being the first song on Survival Crushed. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, he wrote Survival, which is just, as people know, a straight-up Cro-Mags rip-off because we were just listening. I was working at the airport, but whenever I wasn't at work, me and Todd would just, like, listen to music and write and fuck around at my house. It was pretty yeah. funny. We listened to lots of old Cro-Mags, like, m- more so the riffs than the singing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not Age of Quarrel, I mean, like, all the other shit that, you know, like probably most people don't really dig that deep into. Like the Afro Omega stuff or? Yeah, man, all of it. Like yeah. the experience, I got, we got it all. Like, yeah. And then we listened to like lots of like old punk, like adolescence and I don't know. Yeah, like right. okay. Lots of different shit, yeah. And actually, that's why it's funny. Me, Todd and Pete spent a bunch of time together last week, which was awesome. Like we spent all day together. Nails played in Sydney. Yeah, as part of – um. Download side shows, yeah? yeah. Yeah, so I flew up and it was night. It was so cool to spend time with those two, you know. Yeah, been a long time really since I hadn't seen Todd for years since I was touring in America. I think. It, um, Nails is um, Nails is interesting because I, I never thought he'd be the the touring guy. If that makes sense, like he. Oh, dude, he's not. They, yeah. they do. They and so do when play. they toured, I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know. There you go. Yeah. They played three shows, but that's how he. That's how they're going to do it. You know, they're, he's really smart with it. That's yeah. Why that people like them, you know, like they're not one of those bands that's going to tour nine, ten months out of the year. Yeah, I can imagine that it get really taxing. Oh, dude, I couldn't do that. Yeah. No, really. mm. Yeah. Well, see. So wait, hang on. So yeah, we were. So we finally wrote these fucking songs and we were like, all right, we've got to do it. And Pete was um, – he was studying and working at the Institute of Music, which yep. was in, in the heart of the city. And so he told me he had this drummer who liked Pantera, but it was more of a jazz drummer. Okay. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Well, basically, like me and Pete had written and like pieced together because I had a real – I think it's one of the things that – both well, all three of us, me, Pete, and Todd, talked about was like anyone can write a decent song, but not many people can write a proper album, and especially oh, hard, absolutely, especially yeah, hardcore bands. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Most of them just chuck songs together, and there's no thought of flow or yeah. Like, and bond. literally, it's like almost the point where you go, okay, here's 13 songs. That's an album. It's like, well, yeah. write 30 songs, and then yeah. pick the best 13. Or for me, like we had like a, a blueprint of 
exactly what we wanted to do. You know what I mean? It was yeah. it was twelve songs. Fuck! Now that I said that, is it ten? No, I think it's twelve. And each song had a purpose, and and a you know what I mean? And like it was mapped out really before we wrote it. Okay. Which is probably a weird kind of way of doing it, but I I don't know if it's my like OCD, but for me it worked, you know. It's it's definitely one of those um, and I don't know where people would hear it nowadays. Like, is it on Spotify or is it on? Do you have? Did you ever set up a Bandcamp or? No, uh, yeah, Graham's done it all. It's it's on both, I think. Yeah, cool. Okay, like so, people should definitely check it out because it's um, yeah, as you said, like to pull off a hardcore album, like any, like there's a million and one seven inches and eight, like fantastic seven inches and fantastic EPs because there's, you know, four to seven songs and that kind of thing. But to have an album where, yeah, where there's 12 songs and none of it seems like filler and not to blow your trumpet, but like, yeah, none of it's filler. It's all fantastic. It's very, it's really uncommon. Mm, I think so. And, the other thing too, like we we didn't like have a plan to try and go outside the box and do something different. Everything just was really came naturally and was really organic. Yeah. Like if I listen to some of the shit now, it's like what the fuck? Like this is but it kind of ties in and works, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes if you hear people oh we're gonna do something different, it's like, yeah, it sounds like that you know like yeah trying to be different for the sake of i don't know being different if that makes any sense yeah like i haven't musically i haven't worked on anything as hard as we did for that like like i said we had had this blueprint or plan and then we wrote the songs accordingly and then like we demoed that hard like we me pete and andreas the drummer i think it was three or four nights a week for Two to three months would were at that instant. It was good because we could practice for free as well. Yep. So we we were just in there, you know, everything from drum patterns to phrasing to guitars, like everything. I've never worked on anything like that, and I think that's obviously it shows for me. Like if I listen to that now, it's that far ahead of anything I've ever been involved in. It's not funny. And yeah. like those dudes, like I'm, I'm not saying that as in it's amazing. I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm saying yeah. it in at those guys as musicians, like, and again, I'm not saying this because I was involved with them, but I think they're so far above the general band that, you know, oh, yeah. other than say like Gordy from Mind Snare, like I think Andreas is one of the best drummers that's played in the hardcore band, you know, in Australia at least. And yeah, absolutely. And Pete obviously knows what he's doing with his guitar, but like their new band, not new now, but Sumeru, they are yeah. fucked up. Like Pete sent me their new album, and it's insane. Like because they've been they've been doing that for a while, but it only seems to have ramped up in the last six months which is would you agree with that yeah definitely i think they're making like this new album it, it's world class like it's, yeah wow it, like that whole uh like mastered on baroness high on fire kind of vibe yeah it's just as good as anything those bands do like it's insane yeah right 
So I think, yeah, if if they can get on a decent label and get get a little bit of help because they they'll probably need it. But yeah, and if they can tour hard, like they are fucking insane. Like yeah, see. Mm. And you, we had the privilege, well, we, you, like, I was lucky enough to experience the uh, No Apologies recording because you guys did it at the house I was living at. Yeah, that was crazy. Was mad. Yeah. Like, we always knew, like, we had to track the drums somewhere really special. Yeah, somewhere and, fantastic, yeah. We actually do. We did it at, what was that studio called? Fuck. 301? Yeah, that's it. I think yeah. Gold In Excess Studio in the city, right? Is that what it is? Is that 301? No, nah, in excess one was Mangrove, which is on the Central Coast. But, yeah, 301's like the big one. No, nah, where we recorded, it's now gone because when I was in Sydney the other week, the building is now an apartment block. It's just off Oxford Street. No, nah, it wasn't 301. Fuck, I don't know what it's called. But in excess recorded kick in the same room. I that All the shit was on the walls. It was this fucked up huge studio had something to do with the Institute of Music at the time. Anyway, and so we tracked the drums in there and it was fucking insane. I remember Sick of It All were on tour and uh, Arman and Craig came in and Arman was like saying how good a drummer Andreas was. So I was like, ah, that's nice. Because you know? he, knows, he, knows he knows what's yeah. up. And he was doing these little, oh, I can't remember what he was calling them, but he, he was impressed, you know, and I was like, ah. Yeah. But then, yeah, we took the rest of it up onto the central coast to your house, which was bizarre because, yeah. like, you guys are trying to fucking live in this house and me and Pete just fucking shit up for, I know it was meant to be a week and turned into, like, two. Which is fine, yeah. Mm. And, that, yeah, because, like, I think I would have missed a bit of it because I think I was on tour with the sick of it all at the time with Jungle Fever. Well, that makes sense because they were here, yeah. 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 Um, so... But yeah, Trent, you legend. If you hear this, hopefully he's it. <laughs> he's, I speak to him every other day, and I've been meaning to get him on the podcast. Yeah, so I'm sure. Yeah. He, yeah, he can pull the sound. He knows what he's doing. He would pull the sounds and just go to work and leave me and Pete to try and do it. Yeah, I just remember yeah. how hard like singing like that sucks. Like I should have recorded a song a day rather than try and do it all in two days. And that's where you recorded your your guest part on that Parkway album. Nah, nah. I ended up doing that was in um Lachlan studio, actually, I think. Oh, was it? Okay, fair enough. Did I did I record that there? Yeah, I thought you did. Oh, uh, you know what? I reckon they said it wasn't good enough and made me do it again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I to do that again, yeah. Cause for years and years and years, and I probably still have them, but I don't know where they are. I had um the instrumental versions of those songs. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Because they, they wanted to drop your vocals in. So, yeah. Uh, because right. We did do it and you you recorded it, right? Yeah, I think I recorded it, yeah. But obviously it didn't have that magic yeah, touch. I had to do it again. I don't know why. I don't know if it was, right. it was just my voice wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. It was probably my producing wasn't good enough, which is fair enough. You know why? I think that, that but it was a bit of both maybe because – I, yeah. I, I don't who knows fuck knows I had yeah, to go to a proper studio I know that yeah that's fair it's understandable it's not like it's a yeah it was it is a bit what album was it 
the one they just did that tour for, Horizons. Horizons, yeah. So it was a massive album. Yeah. And that, yeah, you don't want it to sound like you don't want it, even if it's one little back, well, one little guest vocals, you don't want it to sound polvo. No, but fuck knows all the shit they've got now. You could probably do it in a toilet and make it sound good. Yeah, make it sound mad. Yeah. Back then, yeah, it was probably still like you got to, you know, use this mic and have it in this room and. Yeah. Yeah, see. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about with uh, no apologies before you go on? Nah, not really. I'm I'm proud of the songs we did. It's it's probably my memory, but I oh, actually no, there was some great shows actually. It, it was just a it was a I think it was a great time to be playing in bands because I feel as though Parkway kind of blew Australian hardcore up and helped yeah. all of the rest of us. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's that whole um, what's that? Rising tides. Something all boats, lift all boats or something, yeah. That makes sense because what was it, like Hardcore 2007, I think it was, at, at the Roundhouse was just like Yeah, fast, which was massive. Insane. Yeah. Like our album had just come out that week too, which was like fucked up timing. And I remember I took 100 CDs to the, the show and yeah. before we'd played, I'd so already sold them all. So my, my wife went home and got another box of 100. Like, yeah, insane. Like that just doesn't happen anymore, you know what I mean? No, yeah. So it was just, I think we were just lucky to be around at the time we were, really. Yeah, it was great timing. For, again, for everyone involved, it was great timing. Hell yeah. All of us, really, you know, like Australia – it was just such an awesome time because bands had finally started to fucking learn how to play properly, but also it was just so well supported, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it felt like a lot of bands were coming over here like all the time, which yeah. was like, which was also great. Yeah, like that definitely picked up a lot more than yeah. what it was in the early 2000s. You'd be lucky to get a couple bands a year, really. yeah. But but even saying that, yeah, like when you ha- when there was a local show, like again, Ben Simpson's posting those photos, um, post photos all the time of shit shows he took, of photos he took at shows, and some of the crowds are just massive, like for a local, well, not a local show, like but you know four big local bands. Yeah. yeah. Remember those Manning Bar shows? Like they were insane. Yeah. There was like almost one a month or like I feel like and a lot of those sold out and they were just Australian bands. Like some, yep. some really good bills but, they were, yeah, most of the time it was just Australian lineups, which is amazing really. Yeah, can't fault that, yeah. I don't think we'll ever see it again, you know. That's the thing, like some of the bands that are around now are way better than any of the bands that were around then but it's just. Yeah. It's just a timing thing. Like Australia, it, like it was still relatively new here, and people were just so excited. And yeah, there was there was great bands, and there's that's the thing that's just as good now. But it's just like I think it's just sort of it's it's sort of already happened, you know. As yeah. as that sounds, yeah. I mean, you never know. Yeah, go. The next Parkway, the next Last Nerve could be you know, forming as we speak. And they haven't written a song yet, but they're about to tear shit up. Yeah, no one would care, no. Well, <laughs> hopefully that someone does. Yeah. 
primitive blaster better than last nerve ever would have. There you go. Big call. I think they're cooler. Yeah, see. Mm. And and football was well and truly over by this time. Oh yeah, definitely. Football for me ended um geez, it must have been towards the start of last nerve. Like I said, sort of I went from football to touring pretty much. And that was sort of the transition, like it just was as easy as that. I just stopped playing and kept doing. What was it about football? Like, did it become too competitive, or like, um, well, you know, if yeah, like, no, nah, it wasn't the competitive stuff. It was, the, I don't know, man. Like, I just got over it. Really, like, yeah, I had other shit going on. Like, it, for me, that was a real like. Obviously, if I'm like this straight edge, hardcore dude, people hanging around with footballs definitely not. Of that ilk, but pretty much polar opposites. Yeah, yeah, that didn't bother me too much. Like, it, it, it was pretty funny. I used to listen to like Madball before I played and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pump up music. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, yeah, it just sort of died out. Plus, when I was a kid, I was quite big, and then towards my late teens, early twenties, I just stopped growing up. I think, and so that probably didn't help me. Everyone just. Turned into everyone kind of caught up to you, or? yeah. I reckon, yeah, and overtook in spades, you know, yeah, especially the islander kids and stuff, yeah, it's fucking huge, don't they? And then I found I probably wasn't suited for the positions I'd grown up playing, and I don't know, man. Like, looking back at it, it was like when I see even some of the guys I grew up with have made real good lives for themselves and become famous or whatever and made tons of money, but it just wasn't for me, you know. So you, yeah, so you were playing with some big and well, some with some players who turned up being turned out being big NRL players. Yeah, man. Yeah, like I played pretty serious level. Like it was, we were playing before first grade. I was training with first grade and stuff. Like it was, I was sort of there, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but oh well. And then South actually got kicked out of the competition too. The the year I was sort of in there. <laughs> Oh, fuck. So that sort of then I was just like, fuck it. And I could have gone to um, Cronulla or Parramatta, but I didn't really want to, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, you know, you've always, like, the, I think the first time we met was um, outside Carrying Bar Bizzo's yeah. at some show. Um, we would have, I was underage, so you would have been underage. And I was blind, drunk, and bought a, um, bought a restraint demo. Yeah. And, you ha- and the colour options, you know, the tapes were just normal tapes. But the colour options were red or red or green because they were South Sydney colours. Like, but that was Ricky. He's fucking crazy supporter. So you're not that diehard. Like, oh. would you would you have toyed with the idea of going to Cronulla or going to Parramatta? Not then, but like now, it's in hindsight, it's kind of different now. Though, like, I don't even like football anymore because it's just not the same for me. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Back then, like, dudes actually liked the club they played for and grew up in the area and shit. Now it's just... Yeah, it wasn't just a paycheck. Now it's just a bunch of little fucking kids that think they're famous running around. I don't know. Like, there obviously still is... Oh, this The skill level now is way better than it ever was. But, the again, yeah. it's the vibe. The vibe's not there. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The state of origin isn't as good as it used to be, you know? Yeah, it definitely does seem watered down. Mm. See, all right, well, let's, where, where are we going to go with the musical choice? All right, well, I've got to just 
step back a touch to uh, Go for one it. of Last Nerve's first <clears throat> proper tours was with Terra when they first came out. See, that was that tour to me was also one of those moments where it was like it cha- like I felt like they brought a change with them. If that makes sense, that was insane. That was for me. That's still some of the best shows ever in Australia. It has to be. Yeah. So they weren't the biggest. Like the next tour in two thousand and five were way bigger shows, but that two thousand and three, like that was just crazy timing. Like they were just blowing up, and I remember Graham even kind of struggled to get them here because I think they're booked at the time was like, oh, no, they've got to go back to Europe because they've taken off, blah, blah, blah. But Yeah, shit's happening over there the for The only him. thing that would have been better is if Todd could have been in the band when they came in because that band was Todd, Nick and Scott, you know. But, fuck, they were, they were amazing and, like, the best band to tour with, like, the whole band's moshing while Last Nerve plays, you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen anymore. No one even watches each other play. yeah. No, that's exactly right. The last few shows or whatever tours I've done, no one even is there when the other band plays, which sucks, you know. And like Scott would sing songs with us and and then they were doing the same with Day of Contempt. Like they'd fucking, they were playing like a death threat cover some nights all together and that was just a good time. Like we're all good mates with the Day of Contempt guys too. It was just a big tour, you know. It was a fantastic tour, yeah. Going back even a little bit, so Dan, who was playing bass in Dave Content, he's like one of my best friends. And he, when the, the demo came out, I think it was 2002. The Terra demo? Yeah. And he showed me it. And around that time, hardcore was starting to get a bit weird, you know, like everyone was wearing jeans and growing their hair and flatlining and, yeah, flat, well, sorry, flatlining their hair. Yeah, like American Nightmare and Hope Conspiracy. Like, it's all still good stuff, but it's starting to get a bit, you know. A bit arty. Yeah. And then Terra just came out and just went, uh-uh-uh, this is you doing it. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I still remember when he showed it to me. We're actually here in Adelaide in some fucking shit suburb where he used to live. And, yeah, that the first, I think the first song's Life and Death and, yeah, it's so is that what we're going yeah, with? Yeah, life and death. You've got to play the demo version. I was about to, I was about to say, yeah, we'll, we'll do the demo version. It's the same thing. It just sounds worse, you know. <laughs> yeah, it sounds worse, which makes yeah. it better. See, let's hear it. All right. Not that they've been going for as long as obviously Agnostic Front sick of it all, but their new stuff is still great. 
Like the, if, a new, if a new terror thing comes out, you guarantee it's going to be really, really good. Yeah, 100%. They're one band that I could always listen to. Like I think everyone loves that Keepers of the Faith record where they sort of, I, you know, they pretty much gave it a catchy title and dumbed it down and made it hardcore again, you know, for people, yeah. for people that were silly enough to think those other records weren't good because all of them have got six songs on them. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to write an album of great songs. No one can, when you're writing hardcore, but, you know, they're killing it. What can, if you think they're not good, play play in your band before them and see how well you go, you know what I mean? Yeah, or, or play after them and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. That's an, yeah. Like, there, mate, like the last few stuff they've done has been sick. Like, Scott, like, I reckon he knows he doesn't have much longer. He goes hard, like he does. Yeah, new songs. He's blowing his voice out and stuff because he's screaming so hard and shit. It's like he's really like, I feel like invigorated and uh, I don't know. The last few things they've done, those little EPs and stuff, have been really good. I thought. Yeah, and all again, like I, I don't remember the last time they came out here, but I watched some live footage of them just recently, and it was just like. You guys have still got it. Yeah, that that was still, you know, it doesn't really matter who's doing what. They've got Scott, you know, he's the man up the front. Yeah, just holding it down. All right, so you're, you know, for anyone that knows you half, you know, everyone that kind of knows you, they also, they know your musical taste is over the years has kind of diversified. You still listen to as much hardcore as you used to, and if not, what else are you listening to? Um, definitely not. I would say like, I try to have a bit of an idea of what is like, you know, what's happening, but I just don't have the time, man. And for me, music at the moment is just so weird. Like if something new, I know it's a different time, like, but Spotify and all that shit to me, it's just too disposable. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to listen to bang, bang, bang. It's on like. Yeah, I used to have to drive to fucking Newtown or get my dad to drive me because I didn't have my license, buy the album I hadn't heard anything of and hope that it was good, you know, and obviously I've come a long way since then, but even I've got a pile of probably 20 or 30 records at my house that I've bought in the last five to ten years that I still haven't had the chance to listen to, you know what I mean? Hardcore or, or no, just mainly, Yeah, mainly, but a little bit of everything. Because I do love records and I recently moved my record player and some of my records back inside my house when my kid kind of grew up old enough to have room and for him not to trash it. Yeah, because I've got some decent records that I probably wouldn't want him getting his hands on. But yeah, I don't know. Like it's just so for me, like even and also being in a band now, it's just so different and I can't really, I'm sort of struggling with it at the moment. Like, I can't bring myself to go and buy new records when I really should because I know the bands actually need you to. Like there's no money around anymore. Mm. And then the way bands just record now and just put it online for free, it's it's so fucking weird, man. And like you kind of just have to do that or no one will hear your music. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the way the games play. Mm. So like – so, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, like, I'm still on, like, an iPod, right? When I drive around in my car, it's got an iPod attached that I've used through the car or whatever. 
auxiliary cord or something. Yeah, yeah. So I've got tons of music on that, like way more than it's ever going to fit on any phone. But I kind of understand that now I need to be on Spotify and I need to just be able to listen to whatever I want whenever I want. Like I, I fully get it. It's a sick idea. Yeah, so you don't have Spotify at the moment? No, not really. I've got like the free one, you know, that if that's yeah. – like if someone goes, oh, check out this band, I, I, you know, like for instance, like Code Orange or what's that band, Incinerary or I don't, I don't even know how to say their name. But like I, I make sure I, I check out bands that everyone's listening to and it's hard, man. I don't want to sound like that jaded dude, but I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, oh, I've heard this sword. Other than that, Code Orange band, they're definitely doing some interesting shit. Like I really like that soft song that they do, the Bleeding in the Blur it's called. Yeah, yeah. But the rest of their shit like, just sounds like whatever to me. Like I'll take it or leave it. But my musical taste is weird. Like I'll either want to listen to something super heavy or something completely mellow and rarely anything in between. So I'll go from listening to like, Nails to Neil Young. <laughs> yes. Do you think? Do you think having kids has changed you in any way musically? Uh, probably not. No, because yeah, all okay. that's changed is that I don't have the same time to like listen to it. You know, like yeah. whereas before I'd listen to a record and like sit down and read the lyrics and look at the artwork and you know what I mean. Dissect the whole thing. Yeah. Now, if I if I'm in the car, I can put something on, you know, my kid has to listen to it. And it's funny, my five-year-old actually really likes heavy music. So, awesome. so we listen to like he loves Nails and Parkway and I started to try and show him other stuff, but he keeps just asking to listen to Parkway. That's fair <laughs> yeah. enough. That's fair enough. Good too because obviously I'm really good friends with him. So it's funny. I took him to like sound check, but he was too, I don't know, I think it kind of scared him a bit. Okay. What do you think scared them about? Because they use they use in ears now and all that stuff. Right. It's they actually just played a song normal for him and they played him his like favourite song. But it was just I don't know. He just sort of he knows all the guys and he's comfortable with them. I don't know, I think he had headphones like I mean earmuffs and stuff on, but just kind of freaked him out. Maybe he was just tired or whatever. And yeah. then when they did their normal sound check, all you can hear is the drums because it's all just in the inner in ears. So that was just weird. But yeah, there's no one safe sounds. Yeah, you just hear Winston and the Trump drums, you know. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a weird thing. Um, I guess it's the way that professional bands do it. But I've always found that weird. But again, like I'm not a, I'm not a professional band, so what the fuck does it matter to me? Yeah. Well, that's another thing now. Like, all these bands don't even have amps on stage anymore. Yeah, it's so crazy. I, I surprised them in Sydney the other week, and like, I told like Jed and um, Scan and stuff that I was coming because I was going to sing that song and not tell them. Yeah, yeah. But then I didn't realize how much of an effort it was because they use in ears and there's no amps on stage and all this shit. Yeah, so you can't hear where they're up to. I fully had to like. I had to wear in-ear like I had to do it all and it was so it was actually really good like if you were in a band it sounds fucking good but it makes sense to do it yeah but it was it, it was way harder for me to do my little surprise than I thought it was going to be yeah just run on stage and grab a mic yeah well, that's how I used to 
do it, but now, yeah, yeah it was a bit more to it. And yeah, no, like even even to the point of like an extension of not having amps on stage. And please don't think I'm saying Parkway do this because I'm sure they don't. But like the concept of having playing like playing do backing tracks, oh, dude. Every, like that's every, that's another level. Yeah, uh, everyone does it. It's such it's so shit. Some. Like I'm not gonna name names, but bands aren't even playing, man. It's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. But I again, that's for me. That defeats the whole purpose of it. But yeah, that's you know that's what it's sort of come to now. It's just their job. It's probably compare it to football. It's you know what I mean. Yeah. Back guys used to play like their lives depended on it. Now they're not even playing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like literally one band in particular. They're fucking not even playing. Like, come on, man. Why, yeah. why? How could you do that? You know what I mean? It's an odd one. It's a very odd one. How do you wake up and say, I'm going to do that every day for 30 days or whatever it is? Wait, back to music. I'm going to. So I went from, I don't even know how, but the only band I think I could listen to any day, no matter what mood. So if I was saying either super heavy or super mellow but the smiths fall right in the middle there for me and that's one band that i could listen to them whenever you know yeah so how did you know the smiths train because i just i don't get it yeah i i get that you don't get it but that was that was through touring with a lot of american bands that were probably see when i first started touring i was like gung-ho hardcore you know like yeah chrome mags bad brains minor threat mad ball you know like and then if anyone's toured a lot, you can't live your life like that. You know what I mean? You, you can't play it and live it and then get in a van and listen to it for six to eight hours. Yeah. So all the bands that I started touring with, like, fuck, man, they were just playing all sorts of shit, which was amazing. Like, yeah. you know, like the, the Smiths, Morrissey, Nick Cave, the Stone Roses, Joy Division, Oasis, oh, fuck, Billy Bragg, Neil Young. Credence, like all, you know, like all sorts of different stuff. And you've got to listen to it. If, if you're touring, you have to listen to different music. Yeah. And I love, I'm very grateful that I found, like Nick Cave, dude, some of, I see him every time he comes to Australia. He's amazing. He's better than Morrissey. He's so fucking good. So he's not based out here? Nah, he lives in England. Okay. But for the last, like, five years, other than the year that just passed, he came here in every summer, like either December or January. <clears throat> it, was kind of, it was kind of like he just came out for the summer because, yeah, he usually has a new album, but it seemed like he was just here every summer for, like, five years in a row. Yeah. But every time I've seen him, like, no matter what he's doing, if he's, like, doing just a piano thing, which he's done, like it, he called it, like, Nick Cave and it was just Nick Cave or – He's like rock band Grinderman, like. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. They were awesome. Like he'd fucking jump into the crowd. I'm like singing along, like I'm at a hardcore show. And- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he, he's so good live, amazing live, and you know all, all of these bands, stuff like Warren Ellis and stuff, amazing musicians. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like <clears throat> with current hardcore. You know, I was around and you were around when it was us. Like it was us and our friends. Yeah. No matter how much I want to pretend 
that now with like the band I'm in now or whatever. It's just not the same, you know what I mean? Because it's not me and my friends. Yeah, I completely get that. We I had can, yeah. miles away, 50 lines, Jungle Fever, you know, that was our group of friends. And we all yeah. supported each other. And so it's it's hard. Like, I, again, it's a, for me a vibe thing. And like, I got asked a few weeks ago or months, whatever, if hardcore's got an age limit. And I said, nah, no way. But you know what? I think it, it probably does because it is a youth culture, you know? And yeah. But it's definitely a young person's. Um, it's a young person's game. But saying that, like, you know, you've got to let you've got to kind of step aside and um, and let the young people kind of, I guess, spearhead it if that makes sense. Yeah, and leave their mark because I remember, yeah. dude, sweet Pete from In My Eyes, right? He's a fucking legend. He, I met him when Have Heart toured with Parkway, so whatever year that was. And we've we've stayed in touch, and he's straight edge. He's like, I think he's like almost fifty. Like he's a fucking legend. Yeah. And he explained also, like, he's never done another band other than In My Eyes, which is fucking so cool to me. Because for someone who loves hardcore and straight edge as much as him, I'm sure he probably wanted to. But he goes, yeah, absolutely. He goes to me like, In My Eyes was my band, and I said what I wanted to say and left my mark with it. I don't need to do it. You know what I mean? He goes, I left it for the next generation to, to continue on, which is something really cool and something I, I finally uh, I think I'm going to take his advice on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah it's a, that's a really nice sentiment. Mm, it makes 100% sense too. Like, you know, it, you, you're pretty much just doing the same thing anyway. Like if you listen to any – band I've ever been in like re- re- to a degree they all sound the same you know what I mean yeah they're yeah they're all they're all still well, not stealing but they're all yeah. getting the same influence from some, yeah from who had before them you're not doing anything re- really new and you know I could definitely see myself I listen to a lot of different music now like probably more just straight rock or like more mellower stuff and I'd love to do something a band like that but I don't have the time or, or the people to do it with or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if I was to do something, I think it would be more along those lines now, but it's just too hard basket. I'd rather just listen to music. <laughs> so for saying all that, Level is still level is your current band and are still going? Or? Yeah, we just released some new songs that we recorded a while ago, but it, for me, like it, it's feeling starting to feel too hard, you know? Yeah. Like nothing that band's ever done has been that fun. Like it's been hard work the whole time, you know. Yeah. But now with two kids and like work and when I do have free time, I'd either rather just hang with my family or go surfing or go training or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me now that whereas years ago all I was about was wanting to tour or play shows or go to shows or now, man, even my job too, it's sort of shift work, so I miss a lot of shows and I feel as though like, yeah, I'm sort of starting to be the old guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, look, the reality is we are like, yeah, we are the old guys. That is the truth, isn't it? It's yeah. weird, I guess. but The kids coming up now, the kids coming through now were born when we were doing it. 
Yeah, that's fucking weird, man. That's a weird, that's a trip, yeah. That's real weird. I reckon another thing too of like keeping in touch with music, like when I used to work on construction sites, I'd usually have Triple J on. Yeah. And like say what you want, they kind of do a pretty good job of like showcasing what is going on, you know what I mean? Mate, I can, like whilst I don't listen to Triple J, you know, I rarely listen to Triple J now. I still think it's got – I still – think it's got a really valuable place in definitely Australian youth culture and it's still as relevant as it ever has been. And the reason, and you know, people write off, people write off Triple J and and write off the hottest 100, but you look at the person's doing it, you look at the person saying it and going, this isn't, this isn't for you. Yeah. Like, well, the other youth is at least like the hottest 100. It's a hundred new songs. So it's not like Triple M playing fucking, Australian crawl five times a day, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's at least it's they still do play the same fucking songs, which I hate. I just don't, I've never understood that. Like, yeah, why the bands need to have singles and just play them, but that's just how music is. But like, oh, that's how the yeah, that's how the whole game is. Yeah. For instance, like DMAs, I love them, you know what I mean? I, I heard them on Triple J and like, yeah, they're just a Stone Roses or. Oasis rip off, but they're fucking good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Violent Soho, Luca Brasi, who else? The National, Future Islands. They're all bands. I've heard them do fucking Triple J, you know? Yeah, they definitely break the bands, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or have a large foot in getting, to the, getting their bands to the, to the masses in Australia. Yeah, and then, like, I don't know. I guess that's the thing, you know? Like, I'm not on Spotify and going looking at the way like I, I used to search out shit you know what I mean but if I hear a good song when I'm driving in the car I'll be like oh what's that you know there you go so let's wrap it up with a song then alright well, this is this is a new song I felt like I needed a new song Oh. so this is a band called Racket Club and okay. I don't know a whole lot about them I know that they used to be in some old bands like I guess more punk or hardcore kind of bands but I don't know them or I've got a feeling like something like Kid Dynamite-ish guys, but I'd never like that band either, so. You didn't like Kid Dynamite? Oh, well, if I listen to it now, I do, but I kind of had a run-in with the singer when we played this festival in America. and Yeah, right. <laughs> that soured my experiences. Hold on. <laughs> with the singer of Kid Dynamite or the guitarist? Oh, I think it was yeah. I, I, the rumors were you had a run in with Dean Yemen, who's a guitarist. He sings in um. No, yeah. Oh, okay. he's singing Paint It Black, but playing guitar in Kid Dynamite. Okay, yeah, that's him. Who was the singer then? Uh, I can't think of his name. It's a, oh god, I can't think of his name. Okay. Well, anyway, I think these guys. Are, what's that band? Sam I Am or. Semi-am, yep. Okay, so it's those guys, but I don't know anything about them. I don't know why I don't. I always used to see the name come up. But but I think it's the guitarist from that band. This is his new band, and it is insanely good. Um, I can't remember who told me, but this song's called Head Full of Bees, and it's a banger. Awesome. Mate, before we, before we listen to the song, I want to thank you very much for – Taking the time, and I'm stoked. Like we've been talking about this for a long time now, getting you on this, getting you on an episode of this, and um, I'm over the moon that it's finally happened. Yeah, stoked to be a part of it. Uh, I think podcasts are the new zines. 
Yeah, indeed. Oh, you know, I completely agree. Is there anything you want to? Is there anything you want to say before we check the um the rack club out? Nah, I've said enough. People probably already stopped listening an hour ago. Ah, fuck that. People will be on the edge of their seats, brother. Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pete. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Later. So here we are You don't have to be alone Suffering is suffering You couldn't manage on your own So here we are This doesn't have to be so So, hope you enjoyed it, Peter Vordy. Um Again, as I said earlier at the start of the episode, if you dig it, send me a dollar. You don't have to, but you know, it's just a dollar. Um, what's the address? PayPal.me slash podcast. Um, 
yeah cool hope you, again hope you enjoyed it thanks to Nicole thanks to Cody for letting me spend time away from them so I can do this silly shenanigans stuff uh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up and yeah if you think of anyone that uh, you think should be on the podcast drop me a line do a review thing if you need to you know do all that stuff you should you know you don't have to do you can do it if you want and uh, I shall speak again in a fortnight cool everybody talking to their pockets everybody wants a box of chocolates in the long stem rose everybody knows But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody
Everybody knows. Everybody knows.